So before it was always like going with this sheet of paper that tells you what to do, but now it's more intuitive. I, I know what is happening. I know what's happening in the body or whoever comes to me and I can tell them exactly what they need to do to help themselves. So our body is a self-healing machine. So if you give it the right conditions of diet and lifestyle, it can heal itself. Welcome to the Integrative Ideas and Nutrition Podcast. This podcast is produced by the Committee of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Access through the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine, DIFM, practice group with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Join us to explore a range of whole food therapies and mind-body modalities within different settings and cultures, and to celebrate the ways that our diversity in practice and perspective makes us stronger. Please keep in mind that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Unless specifically stated otherwise, DIFM does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, service, or organization presented or mentioned. My name is Sarah Thompson-Fahara, registered dietitian, integrative and functional nutrition certified practitioner and your host for this podcast. Pushpa Sandarajan has been a registered dietitian for over 30 years and graduated from the University of Illinois at Chicago in 1989. She has worked in several inpatient and outpatient settings, including dialysis units, and she is now in private practice in the Chicago area for the last five years. She specializes there in renal nutrition, diabetes, digestive issues, vegetarian nutrition, weight management, and general wellness. She has an integrative holistic nutrition practice combining Ayurvedic principles in counseling. She is an Ayurvedic practitioner, yoga teacher, and in the faculty of Anada Ayurveda Academy in Willowbrook, Illinois. As a speaker, Pushpa has given many talks on integrating Ayurveda with modern nutrition at different Ayurvedic conferences. She is a co-author of two books, A Primer on Ayurveda, Handbook for Dietitians, Nutritionists, and Other Healthcare Professionals, and Ayurveda and Yoga, A Path to Health and Healing. She has also co-authored a chapter on Ayurveda for an integrative nutrition textbook, and she offers an Ayurvedic nutrition course for dietitians and other licensed healthcare professionals based on her book to get a basic understanding of Ayurvedic nutrition and its use in practice. Pushpa was the professional resource chair with Indians in Nutrition and Dietetics, the member interest group of the Academy from 2018 to 2020, and she is also a graphic designer. She has a YouTube channel, VPK Nutrition, Mind Body Healing with Pushpa RDN, where she educates the public about self-healing with nutrition, Ayurveda, yoga, and pranayama. So welcome, Pushpa. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me, uh, Sarah. I'm very excited to be here to talk about my favorite subject, Ayurveda. Yes, we are <laughs> delighted. So why don't you kick us off with telling us a bit about your own introduction to Ayurveda, a bit about your own personal history with Ayurvedic nutrition. Sure. Um, so basically, I've been a dietitian for over 30 years. So really, you know, as a dietitian, we all know we, we learn 
the diseases and go talk to our patients whether it's diabetes or whatever. We have a certain handout. We pretty much go through that. It's all evidence-based. You know, whatever worked for 100,000 people works and so on. So at some point about a few years ago, about maybe, maybe seven, eight years ago, um, I used to work as a registry at a hospital and I just felt like all I'm doing is doing the same thing for everybody, like kind of going through that. And I just didn't feel like I was making any impact or not. I wasn't sure. Um, so then I stumbled into Ayurveda. In fact, I was looking at other things and then I stumbled into Ayurveda and then I said, let me you know, check it out. And it so happened that the teacher who taught me was starting a course in Chicago the day I wanted, I thought about it. It was interesting. So it was like the universe came together to push me in that path. And then I also, um, so as part of that, actually, I had to get an evaluation and go do the Ayurvedic diet for myself. You know, I got a consultation, did that. And actually, after that, I felt great. I mean, it was not like I was trying to lose weight or anything. It was just healthy eating, lifestyle, all of that. And I actually lost about 13 pounds without trying anything, but I felt really great. So, and that's when I realized, and, and you know, as a dietitian too, you know, a lot of people come for weight loss and then some people it works, some people it doesn't work. And you wonder, it's the same thing you're giving everybody, but it's really not the same. So I guess when this worked for me and I felt so great, I felt, wow, this is something we can use as dietitians. Um, there are such, um, I mean, this is such an age-old age system from India. It's an ancient medical system coming from India, thousands of years old. Um, it may not be evidence-based in the, the science context today, but it is, um, has evolved for so long, stayed along for, so that means there is some validity to this. It would have died otherwise. But anyway, it is actually a very traditional system which comes from the ancient uh, books. And there are three main textbooks called Charaka Samhita, which is, um, talks all about medicine, diet, lifestyle, herbs. And then there's a Sushruta Samhita, which is about, talks about surgical applications. And then there's Ashtanga Hridayam, which is like eight limbs of, it's just like we have internal medicine, surgery, toxicology, pharmacology, gynecology, and things like that. So it's not, it's a complete medical system in itself and not just some folk medicine. And it actually um, it, it has a holistic approach and a very individualized approach. So, so once I decided to do the course, I did the first year, the lifestyle consulting course. Then after that, I did a nutrition course for six months, studying about the diet and nutrition and the taste and all of that, and then learned how to cook in an Ayurvedic way and started following it on my own. So now I know if some imbalance happens in my own body, I know how to fix it. So before it was always like going with this sheet of paper that tells you what to do, but now it's more intuitive. I, I know what is happening. I know what's happening in the body or whoever comes to me and I can tell them exactly what they need to do to help themselves. So our body is a self-healing machine. So if you give it the right conditions of diet and lifestyle, it can heal itself. So a lot of people are, don't know what that is. And so I think that's where we can be very helpful in, with our patients to teach them how to look at their body, how to look at food, and how to help themselves. And that's also the reason why I started the YouTube channel, just to teach them all of this stuff so they can start looking at their own bodies and trying to help themselves. Um, uh, so again, so that's where my journey started. And of course, um, I did that first year and then I did the nutrition. And then last year, I just finished my practitioner training. Again, Ayurveda, you can get more elaborate too, where you learn about all the different diseases and every disease has different protocols that you can follow and things like that. Mm. So Ayurveda for you has been a really powerful tool in being able to personalize the care that you're providing and provide more impactful care too. 
Exactly. And you know, the, the, the nice thing is when I teach my patients, not simple stuff that I would tell them, you know, just eat warm foods or eat, what is the timing of meals or little things, little adjustments in their diet. And it was not, didn't feel like a diet to them. It was just like, oh, I just have to do this. And, and three months later, I have patients coming back and say, oh, I feel so energetic. I feel so great. So that's more of a gauge of a person's health rather than just looking at numbers. Of course, numbers will get better. But more than that, it's how you feel, right? It's not the weight, but it's, I feel great. I feel light in my body. So I think that's the great thing about Ayurveda I found. It helps the patients. And I would think too, that by proposing an intervention that's right for that person's body, it probably comes a little bit easier too. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And not only that, you know, even the, the mindset of a person is different, like based on their body type. So you kind of learn how to deal with different kinds of patients. What would this patient, like compliance is a big thing with us, right? With dietitians. I mean, we can give them all the knowledge, but if they're not following it, nothing is going to happen. So that way you're kind of a little bit of a psychologist there too. What can I teach this patient based on their body or mind? You know, so that was helpful too with Ayurveda. So talk to us a bit more about these different body types. So in Ayurveda, there's this concept, this concept of six T's and the concepts of Pitta and Vata. So can you talk us through the concept of body types, what that means, how you use those ideas in practice? Sure. Um, again, that's a huge <laughs> topic. I'll try to give you a little gist of that. Uh, basically, the, the underlying belief in Ayurveda is that Everybody, everything in the universe is made of the five great elements. So the five great elements being um, Akasha, which is uh, air, I mean, not air, um, space or ether. Then you have air um, and then you have fire or Agni, we call it. Uh, And then we're talking about the nature of these elements and then the water element and also the uh, earth element. So everybody, everything in the universe um, outside as well as our own body are made of the five elements. So based on the dominance of these elements, you are divided into three different body types. So the vata is dominant in the air and space element. Pitta is dominant in the fire and water element. And then kapha is, uh, um, kapha is uh, dominant in the water and earth element. So, um, so if you take, for example, the vata person, um, they are dominant air and space. So they take on the qualities of these elements. Although they have all five the dominance dictates what kind of body type they'll have, what kind of mind they have, what kind of behavior, what kind of digestion, what kind of personality, all of these things. So to give you an example, an air and space person, usually they're very uh, thin, very thin, skinny, the lanky people we talk about, they're like that. Um, they're, um, they have small eyes, long hands, legs, um, and then they're very active because the personality is always very active because air is always moving, space is expansive, so they're very active, they're constantly moving. They love changing from one to the other, so they'll change jobs, they change friendships, they change projects, uh, you know, all these things. They're constantly changing. They love to keep moving because air is always moving, so they're always very, very active, you know, want to adventurous too. They're also really excited, enthusiastic, and, you know, um, very, very creative. Of course, because they change, they might take one project, not finish, go to another, you know, like that. So when it comes to digestion, also it's very changeable. So it's like sometimes they have good appetite, sometimes they don't have a good appetite. They are, they are also these people who are prone to some of the GI issues like bloating, gas, constipation, because air and space actually dries the body, makes the body also very cold. So they always feel cold, the hands and legs are cold. Um, so, so you want to give them suggestions that would um, 
be you know the opposite of that to make them warm and also not so dry but more moist so when you're picking foods also you will pick something that's more moist and more um uh, you know warm in nature so warm cooked foods rather than eating salads but they might be drawn to salad because salad is very light but usually we tell them no salad is not good now again modern medicine we would take salad is very healthy and all of that but at the same time for a person like vata they cannot digest salad because their digestion is very erratic so that's why i think in ayurveda the concept is always about looking at the metabolism how well they are um, digesting their food so two important concepts in ayurveda we look at is agni which is um, the digestive fire the their power to metabolize anything that they eat now again we're not we're talking about the food that they eat and also the thoughts so if they are absorbing some information they're very quick in catching information but they also forget the memory is uh, you know not so good but at the same time to even digest concepts you need to have a good agni or good metabolism so so these are the things that we really look at so that's why a person like that if you give them 10 different things to do they're not going to follow first of all they'll forget the second they get too overwhelmed and they're usually prone to anxiety and fear and nervousness and all of that and again this is body type you're born with but then there is the other end which is imbalance so that's what we look at usually when we're counseling looking at the imbalance so if a person maybe born a pitta person you know with the medium frame with the you know very passionate and all of that but if their lifestyle is very busy and constantly doing too many things and all of them not taking breaks because vata's need breaks then they can get a vata imbalance so that can also manifest as anxiety and all these other issues like the bloating and gas and things like that and that tells you the digestion is not working so we're always approaching from the root of the problem then we look at the stress levels that's why it's a holistic approach you look at the stress they're too stressed out in their body then it might suggest like breathing uh, meditation yoga you know calming exercises or just plain walking in nature um things like that we might we might suggest so those are some little things that uh, you know we don't we won't tell them go and run on the treadmill for 45 minutes because it's just going to aggravate things even more so that's how we kind of individualized for the person um so then then of course the pitta is uh, the thing and the kapha is at more earth and water dominance so they are more um grounded in nature because the, the water and earth are very heavy they were grounded which means they have a tendency to gain weight so they're usually even when they're young they are on the heavier side that doesn't mean it's a bad thing but their digestion is also very slow because everything moves slow they talk slowly eat slowly everything is slow with them so when it, but they have excellent memories once they grasp a subject they can keep it forever at the same time it's really hard to get them to do any activities or do exercise they have tremendous stamina but to get them to do exercise would be hard and these are the people when the kapha gets imbalanced in the body end up with depression uh, attachment issues and things like that so these are like um it's almost like you're reading a person by just knowing all of this stuff and once you know what is going on in that person from a very deep level it's a lot easier to help them so uh, the other thing about nutrition you talked about the taste um so nutrition we talk about carbohydrates proteins and fats and calories in ayurveda we talk about the six tastes so we look at the taste of food again this is a very broad topic we can talk for a couple of hours about this and and i have talked about it some of it in my youtube channel <clears throat> so here we um we link the the even the taste are made up of the elements So for example if you take sweet taste it's a combination of earth and water element dominance 
So I'm not talking about just sugars and desserts. I'm even talking about, you know, carbohydrates are sweet. Even meats are considered to be sweet. So because it's heavy in nature. So anything is heavy, then those are the things that you would restrict in a cup of person who's trying to lose weight. Versus a vata person who's always ungrounded, you would give them the sweet taste because it kind of gives them that grounding. So this is how you kind of um, um, teach them how to eat. And when you say sweet and sour and salty, people understand that because you can taste the food versus just telling them, you know, eat this much carbohydrates, this much protein. I mean, as dietitians, we know it from the back of our head, but not everybody understands that concept. Um, so I think that's why I find Ayurveda so much more intuitive, in, you know, in teaching uh, anybody because it makes sense. <laughs> And do you have those experiences where you start when you're assessing someone where you start to talk about what you're noticing and they say something like, oh, how did you know that about me? Because you're starting to get a sense. Yes, I'm like a fortune teller to them. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it because one thing will lead to another. So I'm just really, really curious if you're able to share what are just a, a couple of ways that you begin to assess for some of these things? What are a couple of the things that you're looking for from an Ayurvedic assessment perspective that perhaps is a bit different than how you were conventionally trained? I mean, the, the best clue I get about a person, first of all, I, I observe the person, okay? So anybody walks in or even if, if they're on Zoom, I can see the mannerisms and you can figure out what kind of um, body type they are and also what kind of imbalance they probably have. More Even before the symptoms, I can tell that then usually I can also tell by the amount of um, stress, how they cope with stress. Like if they're very anxious usually, then I know they're more like a vata imbalance. Then if they get angry, irritable, upset, more pitta, and then they're more prone to heartburn and those heating things in the body. And then the kaphas usually are more very quiet. They don't share a lot. They just kind of like, you know, don't say a lot. Um, so from that, and then I've had experiences where a pitta person would come in with charts and, you know, they would have a chart of all their blood pressure readings and, you know, they would draw, I have, I've had patients and then I was like, okay, this person is a pitta guy. And I know the pitta is very organized, very, you know, to the point. And if you tell them something, they're going to do it because they're very, you know, focused. So, um, so I guess those are the things that I look for as a dietitian because that's the easiest way for me to help them out. And when you approach them with that understanding of who they are, they are more likely to listen to you. Hmm. Especially a pitta person would start off like this because they're like, what, do you, what can you tell me that I don't know? You know, that kind of, they want to challenge you. But then once you start reading them, they're like, wow. And then they're like, okay, maybe you know something. I can listen to you. <laughs> So that's been the fun part of, I mean, it's actually really fun counseling patients for me now because I actually looking at them like a, you know, um, like with a, a different understanding, you know, um, not just looking at their numbers and saying, okay, you know what, your sugar is this much, it has to go to this much, you know, it's a, it's a different way because I know if I teach them the right things and they do the right things, the numbers will come off. I'm not worried, but it's more about focus on more about health and how energetic you feel to go about and do your daily work. Ayurveda has a saying which says, uh, the first uh, cause of disease in human beings is pragna parada, meaning not listening. We know we need to, not, we should stop eating when we're full. We know we should not eat if you're not hungry. We know we're supposed to get to bed at a certain time, otherwise you're gonna be tired the next day. We know everything, right? We just, we know everything. 
but we never follow <laughs> because we feel like we're too busy. I got to do one more thing. I got to do this. I got to do that. We keep loading our plate um, with hundred different things like you're being productive, but really speaking, you're um, making yourself feel worse in the long run. Mm -hmm. You had used the word imbalance as you were describing some of these concepts. And isn't that a word that just describes our culture? that we are often way too busy. There's so many stress-related disorders. There's a lot of this feeling of being out of balance. So within Ayurvedic practice and nutritional care, can you talk to us a bit about the role of rhythms and creating rhythms daily and seasonal to try to regain that sense of balance? a lot of things. So Ayurveda gives you very uh, strict, um, uh, I mean, uh, like a routine, daily routine. So the we call it a dosha clock. So even the uh, periods in the day is classified into Vata, Pitta, and Kapha times. So again, this I talk, we have, uh, I have YouTube about that also. So basically the morning time, like 6 to 10 in the morning is considered to be Kapha time. So that is the more slow, sluggish time of the day. So everything is kind of slow. We're kind of just getting, you know, into the day. And then 10 to 2 is considered to be Pitta time. And then 2 to 6 is Vata time. So 10 to 2 is Pitta time. I mean, the sun is overhead. That's when our digestion is optimal. So that's the best time to eat our main meal of the day. Because if it eats well at that time, you will actually digest your food. And think about the people who work all through the day, just skip their lunch and go straight to dinner. Again, dinner is 6 to 10, which is again kappa time, which is sluggish. So when you have slow digestion, when your metabolism is really slow and you put all this heavy food at night, and most people eat their main meal for dinner and big dinners, right? They eat like six ounces of meat and vegetables and potatoes. And so think about how you're really going to digest all of that you eat it at the end of the day. And you're not eating anything during the day. And that's why you feel tired. And so you start snacking on things in the afternoon. So this is like a vicious cycle. So Ayurveda says you get up in the morning at a certain time and then you scrape your tongue to remove some of the microtoxins in the tongue. If you look, there's a coating in the tongue usually in the morning that tells you a lot of you know, toxins are coming out. You know? So you first you scrape that, then you brush your teeth. And then after that, have an, a good bowel movement. Again, that's the other thing. Bowel movement is very important. You're supposed to have one every day. I mean, some people maybe every other day, depending on their anatomy, but definitely at least once a day, you want to eliminate all the waste. So a lot of, and you know, nowadays we talk so much about the gut microbiome and how important it is, um, you know. So that is very important. So if you're always stressed and constantly running, it's hard to have a bowel movement every day. So that is an important part. Then they talk about doing a little bit of a meditation, you're taking a shower, cleaning your body, uh, even talk about oil massage because oil massage is very grounding for the body, helps you, um, again, keep the moisture and keep, remember I told you the vata gets dried up. Vata is always the first thing to get in balance generally because it's the subtlest of elements always get so um, again oil massage helps with that grounding the massage when you're giving massage to your body you're actually taking care of yourself you're giving love to your body it's called snehana giving love to your body giving love and then after that you spend the six to ten in the morning eat a light breakfast not this uh, you know heavy sweets and all you know we eat so much sweet in the morning Sweet is heavy, you cannot digest. So it's better to eat something light, even like just some fruits is also enough if you're not hungry. And then um, six to 10, you prepare for work. And then 10 to two is when you eat your main lunch. And then two to six, you're the most active time. It's about the time. So you're more active during that time. 
and do all your work for the day. And then six after six o'clock, you eat your dinner, but then eat it light like a soup or something light, which you can digest easily, warm, fresh foods. And then eat nighttime, 10 to 2 is again pick that time when you're digesting everything that you've eaten. The food that you've eaten, the thoughts, all the work that you've done during the day, everything is being digested during that time. So most of us, or a lot of people nowadays, they stay up at night looking at their phone or the iPad or reading or are working. Usually I see people work through the night and sleep at two in the morning. You're causing this imbalance in your body by not following these daily rhythms. And I think now they're emphasizing more in modern medicine about the circadian rhythm and how important it is to get the sleep and you know being stress-free. And we know stress is a big part of all of the diseases, you know, diabetes and everything is related to stress, autoimmune conditions, inflammation, all of that. So I think that daily routine is very important. So if you do the daily routine, then you can maintain the health, then you can accomplish anything you want. But people don't think like that. They feel like I'm wasting time by taking care of my body. <laughs> Whereas that's the most important thing. You know, if the body is not working, you can't do anything. But then by the time you get to be 50 or 60, then everything starts to go down and then you don't know what to do. You know, you don't know what happened. What did I do? Why is this happening to me? Because you didn't take care of it when you're 20 and 30. This is what you end up with. Seasonal routine, again, Ritucharya um, in India, it was, uh, it was, because it started there, it was based on the tropical calendar with six seasons. But if you look at our uh, calendar, it's more like the four seasons that we have with the temperate calendar. So at the, at the junction of each season, some routine has to be followed. For example, let's say you're, um, you know, like we can talk about right now what we're going through the fall. <clears throat> the summer, it's very hot. So the heat is starting to build up in the body. And if you're taking care of yourself, keeping yourself cool and all of that, that's fine. You may be okay. But if you're not taking care of yourself, going in your sunbathing for a few hours a day and, you know, people do that, then what happens is the heat starts to build up in the body. The more heat in the body, it starts to dry your body too. So it increases the vata that way. And then when you get into the fall season and the cold air comes in and the dryness starts to set in and the heat is already drying your body, your vata is so out of balance. So that's why they recommend some kind of a detox during that time. But even um, if you look at it, the, the fruits and vegetables also in season, if you eat those in season, you know you get the right fruits and vegetables in that season. So in the fall season, you usually see the squashes and then the uh, yams and the, the root vegetables, everything that is grounding for vata. So if you can eat seasonally, and then we are usually drawn to eating uh, more hot foods and chili and soups and things like that. You know, that's naturally we crave that. So if you sit and eat a bowl of salad at that time, it's going to cause more of an imbalance. So this is where the seasonal routine is very important. And then, of course, when you have dryness, you want to put some oil massage and make sure you're taking care of your physical body. And then make sure you're covering your neck and, and not go out in the cold with your head exposed or your neck exposed. So there are a lot of things they talk about is not just diet, but also lifestyle, how to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And these, these rhythms are a way to help maintain wellness. Right a sense of balance, but also to protect the body. Exactly. That's really what you're speaking to. Yes. So we, I mean, you have to protect your body. Otherwise, when the air, uh, cool air comes in, then you're going to get sick. So this way you maintain your the heat in the body <clears throat> when it's cold outside. The same thing when we go from winter to spring, you know, you built up that, that coldness in the body. You eat a little bit more. The digestion is better in the cup of time because the digestion is slow. But then when, when the snow melts, when spring starts, right, 
same thing is happening in our body. So there is this um, little proverb, yada pindi, tada brahmande. Whatever you see in the universe is what is there in your individual body also. So you follow the nature's rhythm again. And so when, so that's when you start to see a lot of allergies come in, right? After the thing in the spring starts, people get allergies because now the, the all that phlegm that is built up is melting and then you get the allergies in the runny nose and things like that. So there again, you will start drinking some of those hot teas, herbal teas, some uh, eating more pungent food, spicy foods to kind of release all of that from the system. So it's beautifully, um, you know, tailor-made um, for our well-being for everybody. Uh, so again, when you're as a dietitian, when you're, you're doing individualized counseling based on Matabitakava, but also looking at the seasons, you're also looking at their daily routine and giving them suggestions. You're not just telling them eat this food, this taste and whatever, but also when to eat these things. And we know even for diabetes, the timing of meals is so important, right? I mean, even in modern nutrition, we talk about what time you're eating your food and, you know, things like that. So there is a lot of overlap, um, but the only difference is to me, Ayurveda is so much more intuitive and I can really gear it to the patients. That's where it's really hard to do studies. Um, I know people want studies all the time, but you really, if it's so individualized, how can you do a study? What works for A may not work for B. So that's where it becomes a difficult thing. Of course, herbs, they have a lot of studies. So nowadays they're trying to do studies linking the gut microbiome because they find the gut microbiome is different for the different body types. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to find that connection um, to show the validity of Ayurveda, although we don't need, don't need to validate it. But again, it's for the Western, the scientific world wants that. So mm-hmm. I, I, there are people working on that. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to a few specific examples of practices or interventions that you might use in their role in traditional and modern wellness? You know, what, what might this look like when you're creating a care plan with someone or, or however you would phrase that? Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, one of the things is a daily routine. I always tell patients you need to have a routine because most people do not have a routine. And that's part of the problem. So you know, they eat one time, they leave one meal at 11, one time at two o'clock, depending on whatever. So I tell them you need to make the time for yourself. Um, so, so number one, I always talk about routine um, for, for sleeping, for eating, for everything. Um, even activities and even have a sleep routine, like turn off the gadgets for half an hour, an hour before sleeping. Because recently I listened to one of the fancy meetings, they were talking about how the melatonin actually decreases when you're looking at screens, you know. So definitely turn that off. And then again, maybe do some kind of a breathing or meditation or guided meditation, something just to give you that calmness. So then you can get to it. So I definitely daily routine is one of them. Second one uh, um, is about of course, food, we want to make sure you eat more fresh foods, not too many processed foods, um, because fresh foods are easier to digest and also warm um, cooked foods more. Uh, and then and then again, fruits not to be combined with other foods because fruits are supposed to be eaten separately. When you eat it with other foods, it does cause indigestion, gas, bloating, things like that, because fruits get digested very quickly versus other things take longer. So then the fruits can stay there and you know cause fermentation and gas and bloating. And this could be related to the microbiome or whatever, the how the gut bacteria processes, I don't know. But definitely that is one thing I always suggest eating fruits in between meals, not with the meal. And then the third thing is the one I talked about is the self-massage. 
the abhyanga it's called abhyanga um <clears throat> self massage oil massage basically doing oil massage for the whole body or at least if you cannot do it uh, for the whole body every day at least do like hands and legs exposed parts of your body so you don't dry out so much um it also helps with stress relief i just watched recently they've done a study and said that um you know just doing the self they they actually had three groups one group which is doing self massage one group which is the massage therapist is doing a couple of times a week and then the third group which is not doing anything and they actually found both the the oil massage from the therapist group as well as the self massage both of them showed a huge difference in their stress levels after after the period of the study so and you we know that stress is a major cause of a lot of their illnesses you know stress increases blood sugar and blood pressure and everything else so um so this is one thing we can all suggest um doing some kind of an oil massage um there are youtube uh, videos you can watch and learn from as well um so that's encouraging and of course not everybody can go to a massage therapist because it's expensive but this is something anybody can do and a lot of my kidney patients have fibromyalgia and gout and arthritis things like that even for that oil massage is very helpful so this mm-hmm. is something which can be used for both Um, so it's definitely relevant um again remember the body, human body hasn't changed in thousand years only our lifestyle has changed so a lot of it has to do with lifestyle so definitely if you use some of these ayurvedic principles of daily routine and all of that it's very much relevant even today so it's not something that they did thousands of years ago it can be relevant even now and the interesting thing is when you talk about the taste of food you can always extrapolate it to modern foods as well you know it's not just ancient foods but it is even today's food if you understand the taste of the food that you're eating you can always say okay this is very heavy and sweet this is not good for me or you know that kind of thing so i do have one question for you related to the taste pushpa it seems like especially some of our fruits have just become more and more sweet over time where a lot of the other compounds maybe have been bred out the bitterness in many foods has been lost I'm just wondering what the relevance if any of of that might be to some of these imbalances does that come up in practice just the sugar or sweetness even the natural sugar content in foods how foods have changed over time um not really because you see in ayurveda we don't distinguish like that you just look at the taste of the food right so okay. if it is sweet and then if it is and if you have a problem with let's say weight gain or whatever then you would naturally reduce the amount of sweet consumption um again with fruits we don't combine other things but when you're eating a meal you can always yeah. use bit like greens spinach and all of that are considered as bitter foods mm-hmm. so you can always balance it out with bitter and let's say carrots you know are sweet and naturally sweet sweet potatoes are sweet so when you combine these together then you're kind of um still balancing yourself mm-hmm. yeah. so that is how we create balance when you eat a meal and you also uh, supposed to start with the sweet taste first when you're eating a meal you start with sweet and end with astringent astringent is the quality of the food and although it's one of the taste it basically has a, a capacity to pull water water so like for example um, like a chickpeas or kidney beans all these dry beans and peas have that quality of pulling water so or something dry um or a pomegranate is considered to be astringent so if you have the water retention problem then you can eat some pomegranate So so that that's how you um you know that's how you base your food on based on the taste rather than it's not how much sweet we're not measuring sweet in that it's more about the quality of the food mm-hmm. if it is sweet it's going to cause heaviness in the body 
It is okay. also important for nourishment, right? If you're malnourished, you want sweet taste. But if you have the symptoms to gain weight, then you would cut down the sweets. So we're always looking only at the quality of these things, not necessarily how much sweet or how much bitter, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that. It's that contrast between the grams of something and the more intuitive aspect right. of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody knows the taste of things, right? So they can always gauge for themselves. Everybody knows their own body better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I always say, listen to your body. Yeah, listen to your body. Is there anything else that you would share about how Ayurvedic perspectives and concepts just shape your own personal nutritional care? Anything that you haven't yet mentioned that you think might be of interest? You mean as a dietitian? As a, yeah, dietitian, nutrition professional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again, a lot of dietitians I see are yoga teachers. They're all learning. They're getting trained in yoga too. So yoga is actually a part of Ayurveda that is used in therapy. So even that, I would suggest that these dietitians to learn, which, uh, because not all yoga is, it's, that yoga is also very individualized. It should be individualized, really speaking. You don't do the same yoga for everybody. Same thing with the breathing, the pranayama and stuff like that. So I actually, as a dietitian, I also teach um, yoga and uh, pranayama for certain patients, which I think will benefit. Because I have seen even with pranayama, the blood sugar levels get better, blood pressure, everything gets better. Now, again, these are certain things that they can include in the scope of practice. Again, you cannot build insurance for that. These are like private stuff that you can teach, um, you know, if, if patients are willing to learn. Um, and then, um, I mean, basically, like I said, understanding the other person, working with them, and, um, you know, knowing what they would follow, that's a big part of Ayurveda for me in my nutritional care, just knowing what that patient needs. Because that's when, when I have patients, they're like, wow, it's like this light bulb goes off in their head. It's like nobody ever told me this or nobody ever spoke to me this way. Instead of just giving them instructions, this is what you have to do. You kind of work with them and try to explain things to them more. They're more likely to follow things. And also sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they have caregivers, they have like family members are taking care of them. So you kind of understand them also. I look oh, at them, yeah. what right. type they are so I can help. Because I can see right. some of, sometimes they are stressed out. Like I had a patient today too, um, you know, where the, the daughter was very young, 29 years old, taking care of a mom whose kidney disease was like in her 50s. It's a lot of stress on somebody. So kind of like I was telling her, you need to take care of yourself also first and then so kind of you, they feel good when you tell them these things mm-hmm. because somebody cares about them. Otherwise, they're, and this, she's going to get that imbalance down the road if she doesn't take care of herself. So and a lot of times, many of these things that I teach about Ayurveda and what they need can be used for the whole family too. It's not something, mm-hmm. it's only for that patient, you know. Um, so I, can, I would tell them, you know, this is good eating even for the whole family. Mm-hmm. If I feel they're all about the same. Um, because a lot of times it's, it's one of, they're cooking for the whole family. Mm-hmm. Nobody's cooking just for one person in a family. So, um, so I think that's really helped uh, nutritional care. Um, you know, as a dietitian, when we somebody comes, we don't really worry about the other mm-hmm. people. <laughs> so, but that's as important because if they are also not following, then there's good chance it's not going to last. If the relationships aren't supportive, right? Right, right. So what suggestions would you have for nutrition professionals who really want to understand, incorporate this framework into their practice? If someone's intrigued, they want to learn more, 
where would you suggest they look? Well, there are two avenues. I guess if, uh, if they, are, they have a lot of time and the money and want to pursue this on a very in-depth level, then they can do what I did, the, the, you know, the, the two-year course and all of that and definitely learn. Um, but for me, as a dietitian, I found we're already a licensed professional. So we're not, and Ayurveda is not licensed. So for me, I found it's just easier to incorporate a lot of these principles in my own practice. So because of that, and then I have a friend who's a dietitian from uh, Dallas, and we both, and she's also a classically trained um, Ayurvedic doctor. And so we came up with this book um, that we wrote, tailor-made for the dietitians. And then, and then I actually have questions at the end of every chapter, how to use the book and how, what kind of questions to ask their patients and stuff, counseling tips for, you know, when you see a patient and things like that. And also, of course, I have a few recipes at the back with some, uh, you know, the, the spice blends. And because we've talked about 12 different spices and how to use them. Spices is a big part of Ayurveda, which I didn't mention. So they, even spices can be used as medicine to make some teas and things like that. So we have some tea recipes as well in that. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. So I hope more people would get into it and you know really start helping themselves. And of course, um, first step is always taking care of yourself. Once you follow it, then you actually learn more. So the word in Ayurveda for health is called swastha. I mean, swastha means um, establish in your pure self, meaning body, mind, soul, integration. So when you're integrated that way, then you feel very um, happy, peaceful, energetic. So really health in Ayurveda is such a holistic concept. It's not just about fixing your diet. We're not just a biochemical entity. We're a living, breathing human being with consciousness. So it's a very consciousness-based system. So when people start understanding that, um, they, they can relate to it a lot better. Well, Pushpa, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Would you just leave us with a, a quote of some kind that just really speaks to you personally? What's one of your favorite? Sure. Um, there, is an, there is an Ayurvedic uh, proverb, um, which we usually mention. It's a, if the diet is unwholesome, medicine is of no use. If the diet is wholesome, the medicine of no need. So to give you an example for diabetes, <laughs> if you, you're taking insulin, but then you're not eating well, you're eating all the wrong things, insulin is not going to fix it because you have to follow a certain diet. But once you start following a good diet and lifestyle, you may not even need the insulin down the road. I mean, I'm not talking about the type one, I'm talking about the people type two who usually end up on something. This is just an example. So basically, um, so it is more about taking charge of your own health. <laughs> so that's what I look at it as. So that's my favorite quote. Wonderful, Pushpa. We'll make sure that, that we link um, we link what we need to to this episode so people can connect with you if they're, if they're wanting to learn more. You are a wealth of knowledge. So thank you for sharing some of it with us here today and wishing you all the best. Thank you very much and thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you, Pushpa. For more information about evidence-based resources in integrative, holistic, and functional medicine, visit the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine website at integrativerd.org. If you have enjoyed this episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast app to continue learning about diversity in nutrition practice and perspective.